This is The Power Profile, stories of world-class leadership, hosted by award-winning broadcast journalist and media entrepreneur, Christina Mendonza. Get ready to connect with those defining success. This is The Power Profile, where we look at power in all forms of our personal and professional lives and talk to people who've leveraged power in their own lives. We are back with more guests and interesting topics after a busy summer. It was a hiatus for the podcast and kind of a hiatus for anything like travel or anything fun this year. Mostly I've been working on projects, which, you know, it's a different kind of fun. A lot of media training, strategy consulting. There's been an explosion of interest in AI, so I've been doing some AI training. And then, of course, the news cycle has been crazy. Doing a Monday through Friday news talk show is so fun, but there's a lot to keep up on. So I find my research pretty much goes on throughout the day. As a result, I haven't been super social, either in person with friends and family or online, because the days just seem like to slip through my fingers. Anyhow, uh, things are about to get busier, at least on the personal front for me. Our oldest daughter just got engaged. Uh, She wants to get married in California, but the happy couple lives in Australia and he and his family are from Ireland. So there's going to be a lot of trans-Pacific, trans-Atlantic coordination over the next year. Should be fun, but there is a lot to do. So life is moving along. But when the opportunity came up to chat with my guest today, I jumped at it because he's written one of the most compelling series of books that I've read on a topic that is both fascinating and dystopian, if you like uh, the dystopian genre. His name is William Forshton, and our conversation requires a bit of setup. So Forshton is a military historian as well as an author. He's written a lot of um, nonfiction as well. He became an expert in EMP strikes. Now EMP stands for electromagnetic pulse. An EMP strike involves releasing a burst of electromagnetic radiation with the intent of disrupting or damaging electronic devices and systems. Now, EMPs can happen naturally, like solar flares. That would be one way. They can also be created artificially and weaponized through nuclear detonations or even specialized EMP generating devices. Forston's series of books on this topic explore an EMP strike over the United States. It involves an enemy detonating a nuclear weapon in high altitude above Earth's atmosphere, and that detonation then causes an EMP strike that fries out anything electronic, disrupts the energy grid, destroys communications networks over thousands of square miles. Imagine what would happen to society if that happened, if there was an EMP strike over our country. I mean, you would think the cities would just be crazy, but Forshton explores this in his book that he released in 2009, it's called One Second After. And it centers on what happens in a small North Carolina town after an EMP attack. So that happened in 2009, One Second After. In 2015, he released the sequel, which is called One Year After. In 2017, the third book in the series, The Final Day. And then this month on the uh, 28th, Five years after his next book comes out and it explores again this EMP strike through the eyes of people in this small North Carolina town. Now, ever since he wrote the series, Forshton has had the ear of certain lawmakers. He's even partnered with his friend Newt Gingrich to write other books. Like I said, he's written nonfiction books. 
He's testified before Congress on the dangers of EMP and the vulnerabilities of our power grid in general. Think about it. I mean, we've had rolling blackouts in California. We've had them in Texas. Uh, we've had stress on the grid in New York. Uh, our grid is not up to par and vulnerable to these kinds of EMP attacks. So we're gonna start our conversation with that. And then we'll veer into other topics of the military. I ask him actually a question uh, that he answers. He has a very interesting answer on it when we talk about Ukraine. We'll talk about military, um, you know, events of the past, uh, warfare in general. He is super smart and fascinating. So enjoy my conversation with William Forston. With all the weapons that we've heard being developed, the AI, what country do you think most likely would use an EMP strike against us? Is it the usual suspects like China or Russia? North Korea. Hmm. Because um, mutual assured destruction. If the Chinese or the Russians ever EMP'd us, we'd EMP them back. But North Korea is such a crazed state and has been rallying the sword for so long. You never know, a psychotic going off end, and he is a psychotic. We could be in trouble. North Korea is my big concern, then Iran, and then actually uh, terrorist states then manage to get a hold of a couple of nukes and the delivery system. So that's my big three. Wow, okay, so if it ever were to happen, I mean, do, uh, do you know if others in Congress feel that way? Do you think that would be the first uh, country they'd turn to? Uh, at least the people who I worked with on you know, commission reports and everything else. Yeah, most people are the opinion, take that first. Now, if we ever want to a large scale conflict with either Russia or China, EMP is what they call an asymmetrical first strike. You launch that first, the blind, the electrical infrastructure and everything else, and then you go for the big one. Would an EMP strike be consistent in its strength or would we have pockets or areas within the strike zone where technology would still function? That's a great question. I don't get that very often. <laughs> the, the ideal scenario is three weapons, Eastern United States, Central United States, Western United States, and about a 60 kiloton range would create a lay down that would pretty well blanket the entire country. Wow. Okay, so um, one of the most fascinating aspects of your books is what happens to human relations after technology is wiped out. You'd like to think that there would be something in between utopian cooperation and Mad Max style cannibalism. <laughs> <laughs> you would hope. You dreamed uh, it. You're a good interviewer. Uh, thank you. <laughs> thank you. Cooperation or madness. Yeah. <laughs> is there a middle ground that would be the most likely scenario, and does it depend on geography? Wow, you're a really good interviewer. I, it's rare that I get this type of detail. Oh, thank uh, you. I hold very little hope for urban areas. You, you know, sociologists, you know, I don't hold sociologists in high regard, but you get a population much above five to 7,000 people in a given area. The interpersonal relationships that can bring a community together start to break down. Now, Asheville is 15 miles east of me. I'm up um, in the mountains east of Asheville. I wouldn't give two cents for Asheville, but my little community of Black Mountain, where I base my books, about 5,000 people. Mm -hmm. 
that to me is like the ideal size community to work together. Nice. Yeah. And, and it does well in your books. Um, so for people who've read your books or read about EMP strikes in general, what's something that people could do to prepare? Is there anything to do in preparation for something like this? Should we all be owning one 1970s era truck? <laughs> do you remember the old duck and cover exercises? You yes. Know, students, we crawled under the desk and the last satirical line was, then we kiss our butts goodbye. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> no, uh, we can be prepared. In fact, we as a nation could be really prepared with an upgraded electrical infrastructure, which we're not investing in. Average component in our electrical systems are about 40 to 50 years old. We're pumping electricity in a 1970s, 1980s system that is already overworked. I mean, you're in Sacramento, correct? Yes. But uh, I mean, Texas, the deep south with all the, the heat wave, they're pumping at about 99% capacity as is. It wouldn't take much to push that over the edge into rolling brownouts or blackouts. So the ability of the infrastructure to survive could be done, but it's going to cost money. It would cost about 50 to $100 billion across five to 10 years to upgrade our electrical system. But what the hell? We're spending a trillion on green energy, which isn't helping at all. No. So we have to upgrade the system. And then also on a very personal level, every person should be prepared for a month or two in the case of a major disaster. You know, it amazes me, people who live in the deep south, they go through a hurricane and a year later, they're not ready. They're not prepared. You think they would learn the lessons. So you've been speaking and writing about the potential for an EMP strike for a couple of decades. Um, and Newt Gingrich, you've worked with him, obviously have a relationship with him. Did you ever get close to convincing members of Congress or the military to consider plans for an EMP strike? Do you suspect that some exist? Oh, yeah. Um, I worked with Roscoe Bartlett, who got gerrymandered out some years ago, my own congressman, etc. <clears throat> I did have contacts into the White House. Uh, two of his speechwriters were close friends of mine, dating back to our days together with Newt. The last administration really was taking the, ser the serious approach to it, but when the current administration came in, all, all interest in the subject seemed to stop. Yeah. We're not, we're not doing what has to be done. That's disappointing to hear, but um, okay. So in this latest book, um, Five Years After, how are we going to find the fragile civilization that emerged from the initial strike? Will readers even recognize this as the United States? Yes. Um, gosh, sounds slightly patriotic. I, I, I have a fundamental belief in the American people now, granted, about 80 to 90 percent of the population will be dead after five years because of the shutdown of water, food, pharmacy, command and control. It's all gone. We have to rebuild almost from scratch. I think there would be at least pockets of people who would be struggling to try and rebuild some semblance of what America once was. But to ever build back completely, almost impossible. Mm. It would take 30, 40 years. And, you know, there are other powers in the world that would step into the vacuum. 
So I'm curious as a military historian, what interests you right now in terms of military technology? And I asked this because I interviewed someone else who was talking about the current uh, Russia-Ukraine situation and how it looks very much like trench warfare, like World War One, like like yes. the, the way they're they're doing this. It's like we have all this AI technology, but here we have this World War One era trench warfare going on. Yes. Uh, if, okay, let's say Taiwan went down. Taiwan is a very big island. Taiwan is a very mountainous island. It would be the same thing there. Um, how many times in history, well, there's the old saying that the day a war starts, by the time a war concludes, it almost has nothing to do with how it started. Hmm. 1914, still big armies maneuvering in the field, turns into the trench nightmare. The blitzkrieg of World War II uh, winds up with Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Uh, it's 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 hell. It is pure hell what we can create. And trench warfare, yeah, it still exists. In the Iran-Iraq war back in the 80s, they were doing mass suicide waves attacks. You know, the Iranians were. It was insane. It was hard what was being done. And then they were even using chemical weapons then. And that's a possibility in Russia. I mean, Ukraine, that's frightening. The use of chemical weapons or, you know, Putin just threatened two days ago. He'll go nuke if this continues. Hmm. We're on the precarious edge here. We always have been. How do you see AI factoring in? Um, oh. Is it emerging threat? Is it a tool? Is it both? Both. Okay. Both. Uh, okay, not to get personal, how old are you? I'm uh, 54. Okay, so you remember Golf Store, uh, uh, Golf War One? Yes. And remember, we all sat there watching CNN mesmerized by cruise missiles going in and precision guidance. Mm -hmm. That was 30 plus years ago. What do you think has transpired since then? Uh, AI, five years from now? I can't even comprehend what we might be doing at that point. Remote warfare, you know, I, I was a science fiction writer long before I came into the history and history and technology. I couldn't even imagine what it might be like five years from now. Yeah. But it's so deadly and it's so fast. And as Jack Kennedy said many years ago, it's not war by calculation, he fears. It is war by madness or miscalculation that he fears the most. Yeah. Boy, uh, you were a science fiction writer before you were a military historian? Oh, yeah. Uh, I started out writing for Boys Life magazine back in the 70s and 80s, you know, doing short stories. I wrote, oh, God, 20 science fiction novels that went nowhere, went back to grad school got my PhD in history, and then I shifted far more into history of technology and history, did nine books with Newt, and then these four books on uh, the, the issue of EMP, which has become my main thing now. Yeah. I, I knew I liked you because I love science fiction. I mean, I, I, I absolutely love like uh, Blake Crouch's whole uh, series of books I've read. I love science fiction. It's fascinating. Um, so I asked oh, this. Okay, what were some of your favorite sci-fi movies? <sighs> so, well, I mean, I'm, I'm a Star Trek versus Star Wars person. Oh, I yes, always 
always believe in Star Trek. I just they had such a positive um, outlook on humanity in the future and, and all of the technology that was developed that we're seeing now is exciting. Well, I wrote a Star Trek novel some years back, The Forgotten War. <clears throat> so uh, wow. even had a screenplay in, but didn't go all the way. So yeah, Star Trek, Battlestar Galactica, Firefly, those are my favorite episodes. Very nice. That That is something I unexpected that I learned about you. That's fantastic. All right, so I ask this to each guest on the show, no matter what industry they're in. Is there a hobby or habit or ritual that you do on a regular basis when you're feeling creatively or professionally drained? How do you restore your creative energy? Well, I own a World War II plane. It's, it's a recon bird. It's the original plane from 1943. I don't fly much anymore because I have turned 72. And there's the old saying about old pilots and bold pilots, but there's no old, bold pilots. <laughs> so I don't fly as much, but I used to love to go down early in the morning, rev it up, climb up in those early morning clouds and punch holes in clouds for an hour. That's how I managed to unwind. Wow. That, that uh, plane's in the book, isn't it? Yeah, it was... I was just thinking about this yesterday, one day where I got caught in a massive updraft and I was drifting up between the clouds. Sunlight was coming through and I thought, this is almost like the end of the movie where the guy meets God. You know? <laughs> it was such a beautiful, sublime moment. Ah. Uh, well, thank you so much for your time. You have made audit day so much more pleasant for me. <laughs> well, well, uh, you know, Feel free to contact me at any time. Uh, what, what are a couple of your favorite old science fiction books? I always love, when I'm interviewing people, I always ask them this. Oh, gosh. I'm trying to think. Old I mean, older science fiction books that I like. I mean, I've read so much contemporary stuff of late. Uh, give me a couple of yours, and I'll see if I've read those. I just started rereading Earth Abides. Oh, Earth Abides, yes. That was that was a great one. Uh, of course, uh, Alas Babylon. Uh huh. My book is nothing more than an update of Alas Babylon and Alas Babylon for 2020. Uh, yeah, I still love the old classics, and I'm just started into Earth Abides a couple of days ago. It's beautiful. I've read it a couple of times. My husband, I think, has read it, I mean, I don't know, five times. Yeah, both mm -hmm. of us were really into that genre for a while and just tried to, you know, collect everything we could. So, yeah, Earth Abides is a beautiful one. It's a beautifully yeah. written. Oh, fantastic. Well, this has been super enjoyable. Uh, you know, not blowing smoke, this has been a really good interview. I mean, usually it's like, well, tell us about EMP and You've asked some very good questions today. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. I try to take pride in, in my interviews. It's it's my favorite thing about the job of being a journalist is the actual interview. So, yes. um, so I appreciate that. Thank you so much for your time, Bill. Have a wonderful day. God bless and have a great day too. We both really enjoyed the conversation and I hope you did too. For someone who has written dystopian sci-fi and is such a fan of it, I appreciate that he's such an optimist about humanity, about the ability of a community to rise from tragedy as his somewhat semi-autobiographical community does in his series. So I got a correction on the release date of the book too. It actually comes out August 25th. And again, it is called 
five years after. Some of the other books that you heard us mention, Earth Abides, that's a great book written in 1949. It's widely thought to be the very first post-apocalyptic sci-fi novel. It's definitely worth your time if you like that genre. Alas Babylon was also mentioned. That was written in 1959, and it is considered the first nuclear age post-apocalyptic sci-fi novel. And if you consider what was happening in the world at that time between the Soviet Union and the United States, I can imagine it was even more chilling when it first came out. And don't forget about Bill's book, which is out on August 25th. I suggest you start now with One Second Later. You can get it in audiobook too, so you're all caught up. Thanks so much for taking the time to listen to this edition of The Power Profile, where my guest has been William Forshton. Reach out anytime at MendonzaMedia.com. I'm Christina Mendonza. This has been The Power Profile with Christina Mendonza. Stay connected through MendonzaMedia.com.